Welcome to Film Fellowship. This is the podcast that will change your perspective on cinema. We are two filmmakers, Raphael Moran, director and producer, and Thomas Walters, a writer. And in each episode, we will take you on a cinematic adventure. You will hear in each episode everything from interviews with professional filmmakers to our favorite genres and directors, fun facts and film history. To get in touch with us, please go to raphaelmoran.co.uk forward slash contact. Sit back, relax and enjoy this cinematic podcast. Well, this is this is awesome, Tom. How's it going? Yeah, pretty good. This is, in fact, I think the first podcast, uh, Film Fellowship. It's the first one. It's the first one. And, uh, well, <laughs> hey, thank you wherever you are for listening. We are just two incredibly interesting guys, of course, <laughs> who just love films. And that's, I guess... One of the reasons why I think it would have, you know, it's great for us to talk about films because um, a lot of people like movies, and but also they have their own unique kind of look on set on on films. And you and I know lots of um, filmmakers, and uh, and during the episodes of this incredible podcast, uh, Film Fellowship, we are going to discuss with these filmmakers on what they truly believe what is film and also their role in a movie. So if you're listening now and you're wondering whether to get into the film business or just to like to hear kind of, you know, a bit of film trivia, then, hey, you know, this is going to be a whirlwind. So let's give it a go. You ready, Tom? Yeah. <laughs> I guess, well, the first answer, Tom, is um, what made you love cinema? If that's a you know, big enough question, and it sounds quite intense, doesn't it? <clears throat> yeah. Um, well, I have to, you know, sort of think about when I was younger because I probably fell in love with it when I was like five. Mm. You know, I was probably like five years old or, you know, somewhere around that age and, you know, falling in love with um, like Disney films. Love Disney films. Um, uh, Alfred, Hitchcock, Alfred Hitchcock was a big name <coughs> in, the, uh, in the household. And Spielberg was as well. My dad really likes Spielberg. Yes. Who who doesn't love a bit of Spielberg? Also, there's qu quite <clears throat> different genres now. You say we got Spielberg and Hitchcock. Yeah. You know, completely different outlooks, as it were. Different people, obviously, different genres. Both make films in uh, the UK. That's true. Yeah. Yeah. That's they they share that in common. Yeah. That's, yeah. That is very true. Do you remember a film that you really liked and? Maybe resonated with you. It might be that might have been the first film you ever saw. Um, something that kind of drew you into this, maybe the storytelling or something that maybe said, "Hey, I want to learn more about this." And how do they create this atmosphere? How did they create a movie? Was it like a a turning point, as it were? That you know? Um, yeah. Um, I think I was fascinated with stop motion because ah, that's yeah. yeah so um i didn't have a camera uh, i didn't have a video camera when i was younger they wouldn't 
parents didn't get me one, um, but they gave me a stills camera. And then I learned how to tell a story with just photos. And, and as I started to see stop motion and learn about that, I realized, oh, okay, then, you know, you've got 24 frames and yeah, yeah. And you can tell a story through the, the sequence of many different photos. So. Yeah, exactly. I mean, you know, a film is essentially 24 to whatever, 60 frames per second. Yeah. It's like a super fast animation. Quite, <laughs> quite literally it is. Mm. I guess it's a nice way because very similar to you, I started out uh, doing animation with my little Playmobil toys and Lego, you know. Mm. That was quite fun. When you take time to compose an image and just for that single photo and that single take and then you just move whatever object it is just a bit and then take the photo, I think that teaches you a lot of discipline, doesn't it? Yeah, yeah. It's, um, it, you know, it's, you're, you're uh, learning about something that you're not, you, don't, you know, at first you don't really understand it, but then you, you, have, to, you have to sort of get your hands to it and, and see, see how to do it and learn from mistakes, actually, if anything, is just learn how to, how to you know, better the craft, as it were. But um, I would never admit to being good at stop motion because I wasn't, but it taught me just about the sort of visual quality of animation and how it was made. It taught me about how it was made, so it intrigued me about, mm. you know, learning a little bit more about um, video cameras and things like that. But um, but I didn't get hold of one. I didn't get hold of a camera until oh gosh, until I was probably like twenty four or something, something like that. Twenty four, and then started. Writing stories, you know, um, because I just wanted to tell a story. I just wanted to visually tell a story. That was all it was. You know, stop motion takes a long time. It does. I think stop motion not not only does it does it teach you to focus on what's inside the frame because I think it's Scorsese who said. Actually, I don't remember the exact. I remember the essence of what, he, or what his quote, which was basically. I focus on what's inside the frame. What, what, whatever's outside the frame, I don't really care. You know, everything inside the frame for him has to have a meaning. It has to, it, it can't just be there. It's there for a reason. Even if it's a chair in a, in a strange angle, it's there because he wants to portray something that means something to him. I think stop motion yeah. really does teach you to be precise in what you want to do, but also patience. Yeah, yeah, patience. I've I've had a lot of that in my time. Yeah, I've lost a lot of it as well. <laughs> yeah, exactly. You know, you as long as you're learning and you're improving, then that's mm -hmm. what, you know, carry on doing what, whatever you're doing. Yeah, it's funny actually. I you know because I obviously I re realise you know what stuff like that you have, um, you know, looking at the shelf and the the books that you have. Yeah, so I've just noticed there's a few things, and I actually opened the page of. Of one of the books on Scorsese. So I think we, we got we got a sorry we got to mention we got to that mention. we're in my library, um, and we're looking at a, a nice collection of of my books. Yeah, we've got different kind of categories of books from fil filmmaking kind of tutorials to biopics. Sorry. Yeah, no, it's cool. I you know it's just um, I mean there's some really good ones actually. There's like Wes Anderson, which you know Wes Anderson he's kind of. He's quirky, isn't he? he? Yeah, a lot of people kind of they're they're not too sure about him, but 
I took a gamble on one of his films and really loved it. And then um, oh. uh, the Grand Budapest Hotel. That is my honestly one of my favourite ones. That's his, yeah, deadly series. Finally, after the Grand Budapest Hotel yeah. was probably the first film, one of the first films that made me want to know more about the film music and how the music of that film was made and who uh, composed the music. So it was Alexandre Desplat, who's an incredible film composer and has done lots of films, uh, music for films uh, of Wes Anderson, but the, sh the tone and the colour palette as well uh, of um, the Grand Budapest Hotel is just a unique. Wes Anderson is one of the directors, like all directors, can, uh, he can create a world that you've never imagined before on the screen and you want to go there but you can't <laughs> you mm -hmm. know yeah he's, he's he's really good at um like i don't know mixing up like oddball characters yes yeah yeah, yeah? um and there's something really kind of I don't know, something very almost uh classic in like the storytelling as well i always you know looking at the grand budapest hotel it's Especially in that one, I see kind of like film noir. Like I almost see Casablanca in it. Ah, okay. you know, like nineteen forties yeah. cinema. I, you know, there's it's it's kind of coming from lots of different angles. That film. Um, what else have you got? You got Ray Harryhausen. I grew up with Ray Harryhausen. Really? I remember the first place that I, you know, I ever saw um, Jason and the Argonauts. I will <gasps> never forget that day. I will <sighs> never forget where I was. I was sat like I could almost probably. You know, I was sat right near the front, I think, and I, I, I couldn't believe what I was watching. I don't think I blinked once really? when we saw that. I, mean, I was at primary school Wow. Okay. Uh, at the time, so I was surrounded by all these young kids, you know, and we were just watching uh, Jason and the Argonauts. And, um, yeah, and, and I just remember, walk, like, going home and, and telling my mum about it, and I couldn't almost... It was like being transported watching that yeah. film because there's there's... The skeletons that are like fine. Exactly. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> I mean, uh, that movie, one of those, that, that kind of era. I've never seen that ever again. But you know. Yeah, that's so true. And the fact that that wasn't CGI. You know, computers weren't no. invented at that time. That was to the, again stop motion. That, exactly. That's the power of how how you know what you can achieve with the magic that. of movies. Yeah, the magic, the illusion. Mm. Uh, the illusion has kind of been lost a lot, probably in the last two decades. But yeah. Um, I mean, what's interesting is those kind of films, uh, um, when my parents started to introduce me to cinema, they were one of they the would... first ones my dad showed me. Yeah. You know, those uh, in the Sinbad movies probably as well. Yes, yeah. yes. <laughs> um, but what's fascinating, I don't think it's there anymore. There was something like, it, it was in London, uh, on the South Bank, it was something like the London Film Museum. Okay. I think it has sadly closed, but they had lots of film memorabilia, and I think they used to have a collection of the exact skeletons which were used in the They're animation for, for for that movie. For Jason and the Argos. Yeah. Wow. Gosh. And that was like, the, you know, hence me getting that book, reading about it and, and just wanting to know how it was made because mm. watching it looks, you know, if you watch it now, it doesn't look real, it doesn't look that spectacular if you compare it to a 2020 film. But mm. at the time, it was revolutionary, mm -hmm. yeah. wasn't it? Yeah. I mean, you know, showing uh, those type of films, anything that Ray Harryhausen was involved in, um, he took 
you know, the unthinkable, um, you know, he managed to make it, uh, you know. Believable. Believable, yeah, yeah, he, yeah. he managed to achieve it. Um, uh, you know, probably one of, you know, my mum was never really into like a lot of films, but the only two films that she ever had recorded on VHS one was uh, Leon the Professional, which I still cite as one of my my favourite films of all time. And the other one, like many years before, was uh, King Kong, and ah. like the original King Kong. Yes. So, so uh, stop motion has always been in my family. Like we've Infused. always, we've, yeah, yeah, we've always had it around. And I suppose watching Disney films as well, that's kind of had a big impact. Like how you know, asking your parents, like how how is this possible how are people making those characters move and, yeah and you know somebody might give you a good answer but yeah I um, think in you said King Kong yeah lovely movie. Marion C Cooper that the original yeah yes the, the, the original black and white yeah. King Kong I believe uh, that in that movie when King Kong is climbing up the huge tower the huge skyscraper mm -hmm. the do you remember there's a helicopter that flies. I think the helicopter is trying to shoot down. King oh, the Kong. planes! The, the planes. Sorry, the pl not helicopter. The pl yeah, I said yeah. helicopter. I thought planes. I said helicopter. No, that's all right. Something's wrong today. It's okay. <laughs> the planes when they're, they're shooting at King Kong. Yeah, yeah. Do you yeah. know that the person who's inside that plane uh, is? I think it's one of the directors of the movie. Oh, really? Because almost like a cameo. You don't really know. So then Peter Jackson, when he remade, he remade King the, Kong, yeah, yeah. Uh, I think Andy Serkis is King Kong and Naomi Harris is the damsel in distress. Yeah. Um, beauty. The beauty, sorry, beauty in yeah, distress. Yeah. Uh, or the beauty and the beast, you could say. Um, I think Peter Jackson is inside that plane, which is trying to shoot the oh, uh, King Kong. Cool. So it's a lovely, uh, what I love about it is it's like a, you know, almost like an inward joke, inward homage to the filmmakers who know mm that the originals of, of creators, the original creators did that. And I think it's almost like, you know, just cool little Easter eggs placed in films that are either remade or their buddies know and no one else knows, you know. Mm, yeah, That's yeah. just a cool thing. I, just, I, I didn't, I didn't realise that until yeah, you told me, so yeah. yeah. Um, I knew Peter Jackson did it, but yeah. Um, I think probably, yeah, I mean, you know, Ray Harryhausen. I, I, there was something else I was going to say about Ray Harryhausen. I, um, I can't think of what it is now. Um, but anyway, um, so yeah, I, there was another one. There's the Scorsese book that you've got up there, and I found that book in a library in Horsham. Really? Okay. Yeah, uh, I found that. That was one of the sort of first things that jumped out off the shelf when I was in the library, and uh, I remember being on my break. And I just sat there and opened up and started reading. And his his um, his outlook, his his um, sort of perspective. I mean, like everybody's perspective is unique, but his his outlook on film really kind of like uh, surprised me because he considers like um, the venue of a cinema to to be almost like his church. So that's very true, yeah. And, yeah, yeah. And and the funny thing is is I've never been a religious person and yet I've found myself going to um, going to movies a lot uh, through the years just on my own like always. Mm. And I never feel more at home than when I am in the cinema 
and I, I've always kind of I don't know maybe maybe I, I, I share some sort of sentiment with him in that in that regard. But um, but he but I never heard anybody phrase it. I never you know nobody's ever sort of like worded that out, articulated that, articulated yeah. it. Um, so I've never really considered it. But I'm like wow yeah maybe that kind of film has become my religion, my faith. Well, that's and, really interesting because I love it. Yeah. The, the, the film. I mean, uh, this might cause some controversy and people might want to contact us angrily, but I'm going to say it anyway. I'm going to boldly state, and I honestly believe and I'll stand by it, that cinema is equivalent to a religion or a church, meaning people who go to the church, um, which I think is a great thing. I'm not saying it's a bad thing. I, I think it's an incredible thing. Religion's a wonderful thing for people. But all I'm trying to say is people go to church uh, are seeking a lot of many personal things, but and this is a sweeping statement to just say they're seeking some guidance. They're seeking a break, an answer from it all. And cinema is escapism. Oh, yeah. You know, so it has, they really have the very similar, they're different, but they're very similar, I think. Mm -hmm. You know. Yeah. Um, it's, it's for the working class. It's definitely for the working class. There's no. I. Like what's for the what, cinema's a working cinema, class? Cinema. I don't think so. Really? No, you're hundred percent. Why? Hundred percent. It was. It was. It began. Oh, sorry. The, in the history. Of, yeah, okay. it began for the working class, and it still oh, okay. to this day should be for the working class. But, um, you know. I think it, cinema. Things change over yeah. time, right? Um, I think stories is what are what changes history, and what people remember. Hmm. So it's almost like. The cinema is an ongoing Bible of history. Mm -hmm. You know, films people see will change their perspective as well on how they will do something to someone else in the future. You know, let's say The Revenant, lovely film uh, starring Leonardo DiCaprio. This is a randomised one, but The Revenant, you know, is in a cold place. It's a very serious film. But after watching that, someone might go, hey, I want to <laughs> visit a cold place. I don't know. Mm. So then... So, so I think um, I don't know what I'm trying to say here, but I know I'm trying to say something, something on the lines of cinema can change people's perspective very fastly on a huge, huge scale. Mm, yeah. yeah, and can get, can reach, can 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 deliver a message, hopefully a positive message in the best circumstances. Uh, but obviously, you've got your you the know, revenant um, that that says quite a lot of positive messages. It does, yes. Uh, yeah. I, it's um, that director's work and he, actually the chap that he wrote it with, um, I think his name's Mark Smith. Um, Mark Smith's now working on, um, I think a new project, what was it Star Trek or something? He's, he's now working on Star Trek with Tarantino, which is kind of funny. Wow. Um, and but yeah, uh, I would say I don't, you know, as far as escapism escapism goes with uh, f films, I think um, you know it was always always has been for sort of like the working class because it was uh, you know it was a, it was a, a very kind of uh, you know affordable way for you to. Escape what what you know the sort of like the difficulties and challenges the rigors of the day, yeah. Uh, you know because people lived through many struggles, many uh, difficulties, especially like wartime. 
So it was, it was, yeah. If you could, you couldn't afford to go to the opera back in those days. That's so true. You had the cinema, and the cinema yeah. was, um, yeah, it was just, it just had to be, uh, it had to be affordable. Nowadays, it's not so, you know, it's not as affordable, really. It's, you know, I mean, like you look at ticket prices now. Yeah, I mean, expensive. Yeah, if we go quickly back to the Revenant, incredible yeah. director, uh, Alejandro. Gonzalez Iñárritu, mm. probably pronounced that completely wrong, but he's an incredible director, but most importantly, his cinematographer, uh, Emmanuel Lubezki. Lubezki? Lubezki. Lubezki, there we go. <laughs> See, me and my pronoun... You, you know, you, you, right. wherever you're listening, yeah. you can probably tell my pronunciation isn't on point. But incredible, talented people brought together to create a cinema, cinematic uh, masterpiece. Yeah, well, certainly. Yeah. Well, <laughs> <laughs> um, I just no, just sort of you know, uh, thinking about yeah, just thinking about the Revenant. I mean, I don't know. I've I've seen that movie at least three times, um, but I saw it. I saw two different movies. The first, uh, yeah, like so. The first time I saw it, I saw one movie. The second time I saw it, I saw another movie. Yeah. Um, and yeah, it's. It's a really remarkable story, and there's so much truth um, in that story as well. Um, it's, you know, was it, for, uh, you know, Tarantino goes with revenge is a dish best served cold for Kill Bill. <laughs> yes. Okay. And, and Tom Hardy's character in The Revenant, whose name now escapes me, oh, Fitzgerald, Fitzgerald, um, he says, um, I think he says, you know, what do you think? You came, let's say, you came all this way to get your revenge. Yeah. You know, but nothing you do to me is going to bring your song back. And, and it's that moment of realization, um, which is a, a, a remarkable lesson and a lesson that we should all learn from. Um, you know, vengeance doesn't always, you know. It's not the best way forward, shall we say? Yeah. It might it might sound uh, good at the time, but I'm sure it'll come round and bite you bite you in the neck. It's great on cinema. Yeah, of course, cinematically, it's incredible. Because I mean, let's face it, that was <laughs> that was a good you know third of that movie was just the it was you know the, the tension. Yeah, the character the character surviving and then you know finding Fitzgerald it was like yeah. we couldn't wait for him to get there. Yeah. Um, but I love, I really love the, uh, the there's my, fr my favourite quote from it, if I'm going to get this right now, is, um, I'm going to get it wrong, I'm definitely going to get it wrong. That's fine. Uh, <laughs> what is it? Um, uh, it's, it's, a long, it's, it's along the lines of, you know, always get yourself up, um, get, you know, get off the ground if you're ever knocked down, um, if, uh, you can still fight. If you're breathing, then you can still fight. So just keep breathing. Yeah, that's, yeah. That's my favourite line from the whole film, and it's right at the beginning. Wow. It's right at the beginning. Wow. Um, in that film, you know, I think deserved. And if you haven't seen it yet, check it out. It's called The Revenant. Uh, I presume you've seen it. <laughs> it's been out a few years now. It has. Yeah. You know, but there's films go so fast. Sadly, because you know, this pandemic we're living in now. Um, sadly, you know, we, we can't go to the cinema. Uh, so uh, only if you have the luxury of a big screen at home or or maybe a, a projector at home that you could see 
a film and, and I think every film deserves not to be seen on a phone. I, you know, I, I don't know about your views, but, you know, people people uh, look at view, f- cinema uh, films on, on their phone or admit, tablet. No, are you serious? <laughs> I've never met a single person that's watched a film on a phone. Really? I've never, ever met anybody that has watched it on a phone. I've met people who use that as like a, you know, like a way to get their signal for the internet, but not yeah. like, you know, for their laptop. Or say they watch like, a, you know, animated movie or something on their laptop. Yeah. But, you know, yeah, if you can't get to a cinema, um, I always just think, well, okay, you know, just do it the old fashioned way, you know, just get a DVD player, get a Blu-ray player or whatever. That's not really old fashioned, but you know, get, get something that you can just sit at home and yeah. watch it because yeah. You know, I know people like they're all tuned into Netflix these days. Well, that's, that's, streaming services are the way, sadly. And, and but good yeah, and but there's bad. a problem with that. There is a problem with it, and and you've just got so many options. It's 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 almost like you know, we're living in a sort of a period where where everything is easily kind of dismissed. Let's face it: if you only had one option or two options yeah. to watch something, then you would invest in it more yes you'd invest in it and you'd actually watch it even watching do you know what i mm. find interesting is even watching things that you wouldn't feel that you would normally watch you can always find something in it that you will love yes and and probably something you'll hate as well but mm. at least you've put yourself through that experience and you've learned from it um nowadays we have too many choices there's that's, that's the, the market thing. is saturated I, i'll give you a funny story there was yesterday i wanted to watch a movie yesterday evening relax a bit you know and uh, no, I'm not really fussed on what it was. It could be anything. Yeah, I've got three things. I've got Netflix, Amazon Prime, and Disney Plus. <laughs> okay. Yeah. It is almost impossible to choose if I want to see a nice, family-friendly Disney film. Do I want to see a documentary or comedy, maybe on Netflix, or do I want to see a uh, Top Gear or whatever they call it now, uh, a tour, the Grand Tour, on. Um, on Amazon Prime. So it's it's so hard to watch a film if you have these streaming services because there's too much content out there. But I still like the old fashioned way of looking at your DVDs, physically touching a DVD. Or VHS. Or, or VHS, yeah, exactly. And whacking it in the player and watching it. Yeah. I'd like to uh, quickly, if we can touch upon, um, going into Blockbuster or HMV. Oh, right, okay, go on. So, what I'd just love to kind of point out there, just say to the world, to the universe, is I miss going into Blockbuster and just looking at DVDs. How do you feel about that? It was VHS for me. VHS for you then? Oh, even better, tell me more. No, yeah, no, um, that was like the best experience of like the week was going to Blockbuster Video. And 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 saying, see you later, Dad. I'm going to look over here. You know, <laughs> yeah. Uh, he would look over at some other kind of. Like, he, would, I think, my dad was into like crime movies. Okay. So like he would look at like you know the Usual Suspects or like he uh, the you know, Reservoir Dogs. I got introduced to through my father. Um, but yeah, he'd look at those type of movies, and I was kind of into just anything that had a f- cool front cover on it. 
you know, I didn't really know because I was quite young. I was like 10 or 11. Yeah. So I, I was just... And like, flashy and colourful. Yeah, or... something that looked totally bizarre, you know, like a monster or something on the front of it, you know. Or, or if it had a cool front cover, then I knew it was going to be a badass movie. So, <laughs> so he yeah. would be like, Dad, you know, like I'd run up to him with a, a few cases like, Dad, you like these, don't you? Yeah, you want to get these. And he would always turn down one of them or turn down both of them. So I would sometimes I'd be like, yeah, so... Yeah, I got I got my selection in today, you know, and, yeah. and then we we drive home and and I just sat and watched movies with my dad. But yeah, that was that's you know uh, that they were the best times. I think we went on like Fridays, and sometimes he'd surprise me and say, "Oh, do you, do you feel good? Feel like going down there?" And uh, yeah, I remember. Yeah, I remember walking into Blockbuster, and then I. It was really sad because um, I moved away from the area where my father was living and when we came back, uh, when I came back just to visit friends and things, um, yeah, they, they'd, uh, they'd gone bust. Really? Yeah. yeah. Wow. So that was the end of Blockbuster and I, I was just like, is this happening everywhere? Yeah. I didn't realise, you know. Yeah, I mean, there was a, I don't actually remember when Blockbuster closed, but I used to go to the one in East Grinstead um, and it was just so fun just to look at the DVDs, you know. Uh, it's almost uh, it's like vinyl you go to a vinyl shop you know that's a, another story obviously yeah but yeah. I, I, I still prefer vinyl than CDs I'll just put it out there um, but I think going into a DVD shop whether it's HMV preferably Blockbuster there's something just magical I know something fascinating about that compared to going online and scrolling and whether you're buying or renting a DVD, you're clicking on something. Mm. You're just looking at an image, you're not holding it, you're not touching it. And that, I think, has to come back this in future. Relationship. Yes, that's true. Um, we, we don't have a relationship to the physical sort of yeah. world anymore, you know. We, yeah. we expect sort of, you know. I, I mean, I know when I get into a car, I've got a physical relationship to that vehicle when I'm driving it, but, yeah. you know. I mean, movies. Movies are they transport you. They they are the escape from mm. reality. So, what better way to sort of you know experience experience it, it than to have a relationship with a video cassette or a, maybe a DVD cassette or these days a Blu-ray uh, case. You know, so or Ultra HD or 4K or whatever whatever's out there. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But so we're missing the relationship. I think that's what it is. I mean, the relationship with. Our listeners now um, and us is the play button. <laughs> <laughs> Too true. <laughs> or, yeah. or the website, which you can find much more and fascinating things about both of us. Uh, wherever you're listening, I'm sure you can find the website where wherever you're listening. It's just there. You will find it. Well, this has been really fun, Tom. It's a great first podcast and there's many more coming up. And the subjects I'd really love to talk about is also the sheer uh, the history of cinema but also do people and do you prefer to eat uh, inside a cinema i personally hate it and if you're if you're the one who eats popcorn or nachos that's me i, lo I love popcorn so. i hate so i'm gonna i hate you tom <laughs> or anyway we'll, we'll talk about that in the next coming up podcast uh, but um this has been great fun hasn't it tom yeah it's been fun yeah fabulous i'm glad to have a chat with you you know Oh, any time. This is our podcast, don't forget it. It's you and me. Yeah. It feels like, you know, pod. there we go. Podcast dating brought to you by Tom and Raph. Uh. <laughs> <laughs>
<laughs> that would be funny. Anyway, awesome. Well, it's been great. Thank you for listening. You can check us out on our website, which is just wherever you're listening. It's just there, just a few clicks away. Fabulous podcast coming up so shortly. This has been Film Fellowship. Thank you so much for listening. Bye. Peace out. That was Film Fellowship, the podcast that will change your perspective on cinema. Hosted by Raphael Moran and Thomas Walters. Brought to you by Moran Audio. To get in touch with us, please go to raphaelmoran.co.uk forward slash contact. Please share this podcast with your family and friends. Come again to hear another episode of Film Fellowship.